0: This is Let's Break Good, the podcast where good is just not good enough. I'm your host, Joe Agoda, and today we continue our story from last episode, picking up in the hills of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and investigating what it takes to replicate social impact success. How do you maintain initial momentum when new setbacks emerge? What can you do when your organization is just not that enthusiastic about your initiative, even when it's making a huge difference? And how do you handle things when your project starts to grow beyond your control? So let's do it. Let's get started. I want to break free. I want to break free. I want to break free from- Now, before we get going, if you haven't listened to episode 4, go check it out. We cover in detail how young people overcame long standing tension with their local police, force, and government officials to mobilize action on deadly disaster risks. In spite of technical challenges and what seemed like an impossible task, the project created incredible positive impact in their neighborhood. And with the proof of success, it was time to see could we scale up? And here's what happened next. When you're gonna scale, you need to take your time. Um, when I lived in Africa, one of the best advice I got was never grow too big too fast, or you'll become a dinosaur. And everyone knows the fate of the dinosaurs. So I had, I had that lesson ringing in my mind. I said, well, we need to figure out a few things before we start scaling. Um, and the first thing we needed to know was, well, how do we overcome the app failing? Because, yeah, in this one community, they were able to work around it, but if we were gonna scale, we need the app to work. And so we needed to figure out a way that the phones could take the reports in the communities with no cell phone signal, no Wi-Fi, to take the reports, to take the GPS, and then when they did come back to an office with Wi-Fi, they could upload them all at once. And so that's actually not as simple as it sounds. Um, So we actually had to go out and find an open source technology group to help us. Again, always look for partners. Look for people that can help you. Building it from scratch takes so much longer, and oftentimes there are solutions out there. So we went and we met this group instead, and they helped to add those key abilities so that you could save reports, the GPS chip could be enabled, it could work, you could take reports because you didn't need signal to do GPS. So it could know the location of the report, you could save the report, and then it could be uploaded later. So they actually helped us to overcome that challenge. And it had an interesting blessing in disguise element to it, which was these smartphones were now not a very attractive thing for anyone to steal. Um, That was something when I was talking about scaling, a lot of people said, oh, they're going to steal the phones. How are you going to keep track of the smartphones? Well, if there's no SIM card in the phone and you tell the mapping team, look, this is a phone only to be used to take these reports. You can only use it with this app. This is what it's for. And I'll tell you, if you take it and run away with it, guess what? It has a GPS chip in it and we'll be able to find it and you can't use it for calls anyways. And so actually by designing uh, the app this way, it was able to help us actually never have a phone stolen and be very in control of the data. So that because it wasn't instantly being uploaded, it was coming back to kind of a UNICEF office or a set apps or a community office and it was looked at and curated. We were able to keep you know, a map and take off things that maybe were inappropriate reports or, you know, making sure that it was child friendly. So actually that challenge ended up being a a blessing in disguise. Um, So that was one of the scaling problems. The other scaling problem was about the number of reports that were coming up on the map. So, you know, once we had the app working, we tested in a few more communities. And what we found was that it was easy to get the community to act on those first few small bites of the apple. So, The Ugga Ugga bridges, the things that were obvious like eyesores that, you know, people knew about and all kind of agreed like, yeah, this has been bad for a long time. We need to do something about it. Those were easy fixes. What happened was after those were taken off the map, they were left with things that were a little bit harder, a little bit more challenging to get the community to figure out how can we fix this? But I think because, you know, again, the quick wins. We had had the early wins. And I think this is another important point to to, to really emphasize here is that we started with a few things that we were able to change quickly and that everyone agreed on. And we knew the direct way to fix it. You know, like, like at that first meeting, there were many ideas of things we could do, but we decided just to prioritize the most important ones and tackle those first. So in the communities like Prezeris, where the infrastructure risks and the most deadly things had already been taken on and fixed, the young people had a new thing that they said, this is the most important one that's next. It's the litter and pollution in our community. They said, before this mapping, we would walk around and we would see trash everywhere. But, you know, that's just the way it was. you know, we can't do anything about it. I would throw my trash on the ground. But they said, since we started doing this mapping and we started changing certain things in the community, this is the next big one. We need to fix our trash problem. And I remember that the young people came, came up and they said, all right, government, police, this is what we want you to do next, the trash. And the community police force looked over at the young people, you know, and they came back and they said, Uh uh-uh, we're not coming and picking up your trash after you. Yes, the infrastructure, that's our mandate. The sanitation, the standing water that pose public health risks, that's our mandate. The trash that is being thrown all over the ground in your community is a neighborhood problem that needs to be taken on by the neighborhood. And this is where the young people, again, kind of that fresh, perspective, that motivation, you know, the, you who are your change agents? It's such an important question in your project. Who are your change agents? And the young people with their community and the leaders in their community came together and said, okay, you know what? They're right. The police, in this case, they're right. So they decided they were going to mobilize a project called Hecalação, which means recycling in Portuguese. And they came and they said, hey, can we use this mapping technology to put points on the map where we want trash bins, because we think if we could put trash bins in strategic locations, it will help people to keep it clean. And we went back to the government. We said, well, if they put points on the map where they want trash bins, will you consider it? And they said, yeah. You know, if they listen to us and they understand that they have to pick up the trash put it in the trash bin, then we can come up with some new collection spots. And that was amazing because originally in my mind, the map was going to be something for reporting risks. But now here they were using the map for something totally different. They were putting something positive on the map. And then they said, okay, we put up the trash bins, but we need to do a community event so everyone knows about it. So they took that place where they had cleaned up the, uh, cleaned up the trash where kids like to play. And they said, we're going to have a community revitalization day here where we're going to build a playground. We're going to plant new uh, vegetation, some new plants, and we're going to tell everyone about the trash bins. And it was incredible. So they decided to hold that event, put it on the map, and lo and behold, it, that project started taking on a life, life of its own and started spreading Across different areas of Brazil and different favelas. So at this point, this project is amazing. And I'm thinking, well, maybe we could bring this to more communities. These young people in, in in Rio, you know, using this aerial mapping and this mobile mapping, they're onto something. I think we should try to spread this to new places. And um, I think my lesson here was that just because you are excited about something doesn't mean your organization will be. Because I was in New York, and I had all these pictures and stories, and I said, look. And they said, oh, that's nice, Joe. And I said, and it's because of this whole mapping thing. We should train more young people in other countries to be mappers. And I was like, oh, this is a great idea. They're going to love it. And they said, huh? You think young people want to be mappers? I don't think so. Um, They want to be bloggers. They want to be, you know, radio hosts. They want to do social media. They want to do videos. But the last thing that we think young people want to do are be mappers. So I hit a wall because, you know, I needed more budget and I needed more buy-in from my organization now if I wanted to see this project take it to the next level. And... That's when I went back to another strategy that I think is really, really good for when you want to advance your breaking good project inside your organization, let the beneficiaries be the voice. Because I had done a pitch session where I said, look, look what we've done in Brazil. I think young people want to be mappers. Will you buy into this? And everyone's like, no. But I didn't want to give up. When you're breaking good, you don't give up. So what I did was I thought, no, I think young people do want to be mappers, but i got to prove that. So I went to the UNICEF social media team, and I said, hey, you know, I had, I had some friends there. and I said, hey, can you help me out? I want you to put up a, one post for me, just one post. You know, UNICEF has a lot of followers. And I said, I only need one post. And the post will be, so you think you can map, calling all young people who want to put their neighborhoods on the map and advocate for change. And I had a little link that said, if you're interested in your young people, you know, you're a young person, sign up and we're going to help you to be a mapper. So all it took was one Facebook post, one tweet, and I had hundreds of applications of young people from around the world who said, yeah, I want to be a mapper. I want to put my community on the map. I want to take on, you know, longstanding challenges And so what I did was I picked, I think, about 40 of them. I had to sift through it. You know, when you have a breakthrough like this, the only hardship is then you got to put in the time. And no one is going to thank you for this time. No one is going to recognize you. But this is, you know, when you're breaking good, this is actually also, you know, the fun of it is I got to look up all these people that in all these different countries that wanted to be mappers. I selected a few of them and I had them put a report up on the map. So then I did another pitch session. I called the team together. I got some of the people that could fund it in the room. And I said, so you think young people want to be mappers? Well, let me show you something. And I put the map up on the screen and I started showing them all the points and all the different countries of these young people, you know, from Africa, Asia, South America, everywhere and having... You know, risks uh, related to climate change, related to, I think, mining, all kinds of stuff. And their eyes just opened up wide and they said, this is amazing. Yeah, we need to have a mapping program here. And the funding came in to bring it to three new countries. And that's when I thought I had made it. And that's when I thought, like, oh, I felt like a hot shot, you know. And we were getting ready to go to three more countries when something changed. And, you know, I think that this part of the story is a bit bittersweet, but it's it's real. And that's when you have a big success inside of your organization. It doesn't mean that you necessarily get to benefit from it. You know that your project will benefit. You know, it may get more time and energy and resources, but don't assume that you also will get that. Because what happened was they decided that someone else, because it was getting bigger, should be put in charge of the project. And I didn't like that. And I had a hard time with it because I felt like it was starting to lose exactly what made it great. Number one, they started that they wanted to crowdsource the mapping points from general public. And I said, no, 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 you can't do that. The whole reason that it works so well is that every point on the map comes from a trained youth mapping ambassador. They call them Southern remember Brazil, they're the youth street smart mapping ambassadors. And every point is known to come from them. And that's what makes it powerful. And they said, mm, I don't think so. Would you rather have a, like, you know, a dozen street smart mapping ambassador points or a few thousand points from the whole community, more representative? Come on, Joe, think about it. And so I lost that battle. And then they wanted to add social media integration to it. I said, no, 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 don't do that. That, you know, the child-friendly privacy part of it is that the points that are getting mapped are done offline, uploaded online, curated, and then go public. But I said, no, 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 Joe, young people love their social media. This will help them advocate. Then... One site, one of the three countries we were working in popped up and said, oh, the government doesn't want to do it. But we have the budget, we have the technology, and we have the community group. We don't have the government, but that should be okay. We'll make it work. And I said, no, 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 no. Don't do it. The government afterwards is just going to say that's an informal community and they're not going to listen at all. And even though with all these three things that I just talked about, I was in the right It didn't matter because I had become the person of no inside the organization. I was the one that didn't want to be part of the team internally. I didn't want to contribute. I was always just trying to control it and say what you shouldn't do. And even though I was saying, but look in Brazil, how it works is how we should do it. You know, at the time, I didn't really have the full grasp of how to deal with the bureaucracy and to deal with the fact that I was, you know, I was no longer in charge. I didn't have the power, the authority to sway it. So even though I had tried to convince them, as but I had tried to convince them, I'd become the person of no. And eventually what happened was they decided to rebrand the project and put it under another project. So again, it changed hands, it rebranded, other people were put in charge, and I watched as it slowly, you know, Stopped its kind of momentous growth. There were still mappings going on, but I was unhappy with it. I would complain about it, and eventually I was fully taken off the project and I was no longer a part of it. And you know, I think what you can learn from this is again, when you're breaking good, the projects may flourish, but you have to take care of yourself and know where you sit you need to know how to compromise, you need to know how to work with the bureaucracy because you as one individual can't break the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy will break you. That's what happened to me. So eventually I was totally off the project. I got disconnected from it and I moved on. And it was only until a few years ago that I actually got to learn uh, what happened to the project. And what I learned was actually sometimes when you let go of something it does take on a life of its own not what you expect it but it does still ripple and create impact. And so I learned that there were additional mappings that happened all around the world not you know as many as I thought could have happened but yes there was mappings going. And what though another cool thing was that another organization had obviously maybe had seen what we were doing, the approach we had in Brazil and a whole entire organization called Youth Mappers sprouted up. So there was actually an organization dedicated just to youth mapping that got started. Um, You can look them up at youthmappers.org and they're doing incredible work and they've been doing it for years and they're doing it in the exact approach that I really feel embodies, you know, what makes... This kind of thing different and why it worked. They're putting the youth in charge. They're doing community meetings. They're bringing together stakeholders, so that youthmappers.org uh, organization sprouted up. And as well, it was really amazing to see that the public lab group that had done the aerial mapping with us also has grown and gone on to many really cool, you know, um, citizen scientist projects. And maybe in a future episode, we'll dive into that and we'll look more about what they're up to. But the probably most uplifting and inspiring thing for me was that I actually got the chance to go back to Brazil little, you know, a few, a few years ago, yeah, about five years after we had done that first mapping. I went back to Prezetis, that community that had really shaped you know, my understanding of how you can take on things that for years have been a problem. So I got to go to Prezetis, and this time, because I wasn't an official... United Nations staff member, I would be allowed to go into the favela. So um, some of the people that I had done the mapping with were still there, and they came and they met me, and they took us into the community. And not only was it clean, and not only did they show me some of the additional things that had been fixed up, but there was something else that was new. There was the coolest, most colorful street art on a lot of the walls inside the favela. And that was definitely not there before. So after we finished the tour, I said, this is like amazing. Where did this come from? Like this street art is super cool. And they said, yeah. So what happened with that was that once we had, you know, had our recycling system and we fixed all the problems and the community was thriving, there was one last thing that was bugging everyone. And that was when people came to our community and they took pictures, they always took pictures outside the community because there was a beautiful view. It was up on a hill, up on the mountainside sort of, and they would take pictures of the Brazilian beaches. You could see Sugarloaf. You could see the, the Christ statue. And when people took pictures of the community, it was always looking out. And they said, if we were really proud of our community, people would want to take selfies in of the community itself. So that's when they came up with the idea of the street art and they allowed and they invited artists from all over Rio to come and do street art. And they said now when people come, people will visit their their community, not just for the view, but also to see the street art. And that is just, I think, brings us to the end of the story. And is a moment where we can reflect about what you can take away and what you can, you know, use from the story. If you're trying to break good and you're taking on these massive problems that maybe have been around for years and there's apathy and you feel like no one's listening and it's frustrating. Um, you know, here are some of the things that we can take away from the story that you can apply. Number one. I would say, is that it takes a collaborative effort. You have, don't think you can build every element of your project by yourself. Go out there, see who else is doing it and build collaborative partnerships. You know, if you have an idea for a tech, don't go and try to find coders to build it brand new. Go see what is out there. Um, I would have never found, you know, that public lab group that was doing that really cool aerial mapping if I had tried to figure it out myself. So number one, I would say is that build collaborative you know, partners because then you have a real force and you have a whole resourceful network that you're gonna to use to take on these big problems. Next, I would say, make it fun. You have to have something in your project that's enjoyable, something that people like to do, um, again, when people get started, I think there's this like seriousness that which I understand. You're taking on really big, serious problems. You might be talking about life and death situations. You might be talking about people who are in poverty, living on like very few dollars per day. But when you come there, you need to not say, "Oh, I'm gonna," you know, "Oh, I'm gonna help them." You need to say, "How will I work together?" And if you have something fun, something uplifting, something enjoyable, then they're going to come out and they're going to want to work with you and they're going to want to do it long term. So making it fun is really, really important. Um, another uh, tip that I would take away from this story is eating the apple one bite at a time. Rome wasn't built in a day, that's what they say. And I think oftentimes, when we look at huge problems, we think, oh, we need to have huge solutions. really complex, really big, really bold. And yes, I think you you know you do have to consider how will you scale? And from the story you heard, there were a number of things we had to overcome to scale. but you need to start small and you need to be actionable. Um, the whole magical element, I think of the youth mapping, was that it was not about putting as many things on the map as possible. It was about putting agreed upon things on the map and getting that map with those points to the right person, with the right resources and the right mandate to make the change. So when you're looking at a huge mountain, you know it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go build your own mountain right away to try to take on the problem. Start small take it step by step and be as actionable as possible. Now the last takeaway for this story is about being community driven. I would say the number one most important group in this whole story other than the young people was setaps. Setaps was that community organization, no they weren't mapping specialists. No, they weren't tech specialists. No, they weren't even disaster risk specialists. But what they did have was the trust of the community. They knew who the young people were. They had already been working with them, already been you know, training and educating them. And they were in the community for years, and they were set to be there for many more years. If we did not have apps, it would have never have run. And I think that's an oversight sometimes people make when they get started is they they look past that local group. Oh, yeah, they do. They don't do what we need. But if they're known and they're embedded, you need them as your partner because without them, you won't get anywhere. So that's it. That's today's story on Let's Break Good. Um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, the tale of the street smart mapping ambassadors. And now maybe you're ready to go out and take on the next step in your project. I wanna take a moment and show my gratitude and thanks once again to all the organizations and people who made it possible. That starts with UNICEF and their Division of Communications in New York City. They gave me the shot to do this project and without them, it wouldn't have never been possible also want to show my gratitude to the UNICEF Brazil office, as well as the Rio de Janeiro field office that helped us make sure everything on the ground went smoothly. The CETAPS team, which are in Rio de Janeiro and work across Brazil, continue to do amazing youth-focused work, and without them, we could have never been able to really empower and scale up that youth mapping approach the Public Laboratory for Open Technology and Science. I believe now they go just as public lab. The staff really helped us make this possible, uh, including that aerial mapping component. They also assisted in the development of the curriculum and the overall approach. And that staff that came to us and helped us with the project, they're still there doing amazing work with the organization. Next. A big thanks to Innovative Support to Emergencies, Diseases, and Disasters, also known as INSTEAD. They are a design and open source technology nonprofit that helped us make sure that that GIS system was ready to scale and that the mobile mapping app could work not just in one community, but in a number across Brazil and the world. That same team at INSTEAD is still in place at the executive level who made it possible Also a partner to Instead, we need to give thanks to a group called Manas, Manas Technologies. They're an Argentine software company that works with Instead and they aided in some of the most difficult coding challenges related to the app. So a special thanks to them Um, as well. Instead, did not just contribute to the technology, but they were actually the reason that I got to go back to Brazil and back to Rio in 2015 and gave me that opportunity to see the community change that had really happened in that community of Prezetis. Also, finally, gratitude to the Youth Mappers Organization, which you can learn more about again at youthmappers.org. This is an organization that is still going strong with chapters of Youth Mappers all over the world. They are funded by USAID and led by Texas Tech University, George Washington University, and West Virginia University. So as we come to a conclusion, again, I want to send a big thank you. And I have a deep gratitude to everyone who is involved. So thanks and catch you next time. But life still goes on. I can get at you by my side